behind that. Well, tonight uh, we're in the second week of a series on uh, Philippians, foundations in Philippians, and I love the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians is a, a letter that Paul wrote to the people of Philippi. Uh, it's a cool letter. It's uh, a lot of his letters, you know, kind of have a bit of rebuke in them, but this letter doesn't. Uh, firstly, he's thanking the people uh, in Philippi for, for standing with him and supporting him. Uh, then he's kind of giving them a bit of an update about how he's doing because he's actually uh, writing uh, this letter from prison. Uh, and then he goes and gives them some great wisdom and some great knowledge and some great teaching. And uh, it's a great letter. And uh, I just think there's so much for us to learn uh, out of it. And uh, this is the, the verses that we're going to concentrate uh, on tonight. It comes from Philippians 3, 13 and 14. It says this, but one thing, everyone say one thing. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love the terminology here about the one thing. I love that that is so palatable, that here we just have this kind of one thing that we can do that Paul's got a great understanding is going to make a significant difference in his life and can make a great difference to our life. The one thing. I love that. I just think that kind of makes things easy. If you've just got one thing to think about it. I was thinking about, and I've got actually, I've got a prop. Who wants to see a prop here tonight? I've stashed a prop over here tonight. I haven't used a prop in a long time, but tonight we've got a golf club. And... Uh, this is my golf club, needs an upgrade, but it's all pretty good. And uh, see, I grew up as a kid and I played a lot of golf. And I don't know how many tens of thousands of golf balls I've hit over my life, but it's a fair few. But these days, I don't play golf that often. I have the very occasional hit. And this is what I find when I haven't played golf for quite some time, like two or three or four months, and sometimes they're the length of gaps between some of my hits, I get back to the golf course and because... I didn't play last week or yesterday. I haven't kind of got all the bad things in my mind about my swing. So I kind of get up onto the first tee and I'm like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. And I kind of just line up and I go, well, I've done this a lot of times. And I just kind of take a swing and I hit it somewhere. And I kind of go, oh, hopefully. And often what happens, it kind of goes all right. But then as the game goes on, all the bad shots start coming out often. And then I start thinking about it too much. And I'm like, oh, okay, I need to line up like this. And... Then I need the grip like this, and then I've got to lean forward, and then I've got to make sure that I get my wrist in that thing, and, and then I come to the back swing, and before I know it, I've got like 15 thoughts in my head. And do you know what happens when I've got 15 thoughts in my head? It just gets worse and worse and worse. I think they're improvements, and I start thinking like this, and I start coming through, and I'm like, oh, it goes into the creek, and then I go up to the creek, goes into the trees, and it just gets worse. Because I'm just thinking too much. And sometimes I think it's really healthy if we just focus on like one thing. And isn't it good in life that here Paul's giving us some great directions on something that he's learnt in life that ends up becoming his one thing that he concentrates on and he presses into and he focuses on. And it's almost like the rest of life can work really well when we get it down and boil it down to the one thing. So if no one can steal my golf club after the service here tonight, because that's a, a part of a set and I don't want to have to replace it. <laughs> However, the one thing, 
And I was reminded of the story in Luke 10 where uh, the story of Martha and Mary. Martha invites Jesus over to her place and Jesus uh, enters her house. And we read in Luke 10 about Martha, how she's running around and she's keeping really busy and she's, uh, she's kind of hosting and she's running around doing all these things and she gets really annoyed at Mary. Because what's Mary doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's sitting there, she's taking this opportunity to sit before the Son of God and she's letting all the other things just lay aside. And Martha gets really annoyed and like, Jesus, do you, do you not see this? Like, here I am, I'm busy, I'm, I'm doing a lot and, and look, at, look at what she's doing. And this is what Jesus says. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. In that moment, Mary chose the good thing. She chose the one thing to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I think we can learn in life to to do one thing really well, and I think this scripture gives us some great guidance for that. Steve Jobs, the very famous uh, founder of Apple, said, do not try to do everything, do one thing well. One thing. So let's have a look at this scripture, break it down a little bit here tonight. It says here that after that one thing, uh, to forget what is behind. What a great thing to be reminded of in life to look forward, to look at what's ahead. Don't live life looking back. Does not go well. It's not what we're meant to do. And so many of us at times do it and we do it too much. We're looking back. We're looking at the former days. Guess what? They're over. They finished. They're gone. Don't do that. Don't live in the, oh, if only, if only I brought the house when it was a bit cheap. If only... I'd marry that person instead of this one. Definitely don't do that one. If only I'd got that job. If only I'd left the house two seconds later, I wouldn't have had the car accident. If only, if only, if only we can live in that place, but we're not meant to live in that place. We're not meant to look back at all the things that haven't gone well and dwell on them because God doesn't change the past, but he can play a mighty role in forming the future for you. So you look ahead you look at excitement about what he's going to do. One of the things I love to do in my house is uh, I make like an annual family movie. I use my phone a lot to take a lot of uh, video footage and I just don't want to end up at the end of my days with like a thousand hours worth of clips. I'm like, no, that's, I don't like that. So what I do every year is I, I spend quite a lot of time to, uh, to get on my uh, computer and I use iMovie and I've kind of self-taught myself. It's kind of basic to use and I, I just make a movie and I just kind of sum the whole year of our life and with our kids into a 20-minute movie. Then I get kind of excited because it takes me about 20 hours and I sit down with my family and I I get the popcorn going, we watch it on the big screen, and, uh, and it's brilliant. The kids love it, we remember all the good things, and, and I only show the good things, then. I didn't get any footage of the, my kids falling over and crying and, and all the bad things. I, I get all the good stuff. And 
I look at the good stuff. Now, I still don't dwell in that place. I don't go back, you know, and wake up tomorrow morning and get the, the video from eight years ago and pop it in and, and have a look at two-year-old Sienna, who's now 10, and kind of dwell on those days. Oh, if Shani, she was a baby again. She could stay in my arms, and I won't stay there. Like, no, I, I look forward. I look forward. Sometimes I look at a few things that are the good things back, but overall, we have to look forward, don't we? And for Paul, something incredible occurred in his life that was like this radical reevaluation of the things that he counted as important because all of a sudden this radical change occurred in his life his trajectory of life changed dramatically because he had the most significant thing that any of us can ever have and that was an encounter with Jesus Christ and he had that encounter and it changed everything He had an encounter with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the risen Jesus, because he was on that road to Damascus, and he was on his way to go and beat Christians. He was on his way to go and get Christians and see that they were thrown into prison, and then he has the almighty encounter with Jesus, and everything changes. Everything changed in his life from that moment on. It was the life-transforming moment in his life. And up to that point, all his self-worth, all that he was basing his life on, all his achievements, his accomplishments, and his success. And in his mind, he, he had a lot of these things up to that moment. And it wasn't good things, but it was things he was achieving. And it was coming against the church and against the people. He was, he was going hard out at these things, and he was achieving things. I think if the Pharisees were a football team, he would have been captain. He would have probably captained the state and his country. He would have got Dalian Player of the Year on multiple uh, occasions. The little Pharisees wanted to be like him. He would have had honor everywhere he went. He was famous and highly respected for what he was doing. He had achieved so much within the field that he was in. But then all of a sudden, it changes. Such was his encounter and his experiences of Jesus. And just before this scripture we've just read in Philippians 3.7, he says this. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All those other things, all those achievements, once he had that true encounter with Jesus, they were like, they faded away. They faded away. And he was all about the sake of Jesus Christ. He was all about Jesus from that moment on. He was all about that. That encounter made all the difference. And after that, it wasn't just about his life, his world. He went from poor being selfish to poor being selfless. And I think all of us need to think about that. Are we living a selfish life or are we living a selfless life? And I need to think about that. Is Hartley living selfishly? Or is Hartley living selflessly? And Jesus led in this way so magnificently. Oh man, think about it. Jesus, God in the flesh, he lived for 33 years. He went to a brutal death on a cross because he wasn't about living for himself. He was about living for you and me. That was the Jesus. He led in this way. So I think it's good to think, how am I living? Maybe today you take a moment and go, am I living kind of 
about me? Am I about myself? Because Paul was once about him and his own business, and then it all changed. And he stopped being about that, and he started to be about the things of the kingdom of heaven. Be about those things. Be selfless. I mean, if you want a bad marriage, just be selfish. You'll almost guarantee yourself it's going to be a bad marriage. If you want a good marriage, be selfless. It's a key. You can give me a tip on that marriage tip a little bit later if you want. It's the key. But it's how we're to live. So we've got to be looking forward. We've got to be not thinking. We've got to be going forward. And then it says that he was straining to what is ahead. Throughout the battles, the problems, the issues, the persecution, Paul was moving forward. It didn't matter if it was hard work on the way through, but he was determined to move forward, to move in the right direction. He was going to be about this purpose. He was going to be about accomplishing things, not for himself, but for Jesus. And for him, he had to grow in Christ. He had to grow in the knowledge of Christ. And this was instrumental for his life. It didn't become about head knowledge, but experimental intimacy. He wanted to find out no more about Jesus. And there could have been people saying, hey, you're good now. You've got Christ in your life. Is there anything more? But he knew there was more. He knew there was more to go after, more to attain. And do you know what? Each and every one of us here, I want to remind us there's more. There's more for all of us. None of us have arrived. There's more for each and every one of us, wherever you are on the journey, whether you haven't made a decision for Christ yet, and tonight could be that night, and for all of us that have, there's, there's more for all of us. We haven't arrived yet. There's more. There's more God wants us to go. There's more we need to go. There's more that our families need us to go. There's more our neighbors need us to go. There's more for all of us. We have to progress. We have to be moving forward. We have to go after it. We haven't arrived. Reminds me of our Spain in the 15th century. When Spain led the world, their coins were inscribed with the words, Ni plus ultra, which meant nothing further. Meaning they had arrived. They were it. That Spain was the ultimate in all the world. There was nothing further to achieve. After the discovery of the new world by Columbus, they realized that there was more. They changed the inscription on their coinage to plus ultra, meaning more beyond. What motto expresses your Christian life? Nothing further or more beyond? There is more. There is more. But so often barriers get in the way. Busyness can get in the way for us. Offense can get in the way for us. Past experience get in the way for us. Our comfort gets in the way for us. Maybe we're a little bit like Martha where we're doing some good stuff, but we're kind of busy and, 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 and Jesus is missing out because we're kind of doing good stuff, but we're really we're distracted with that. There could be a number of things that are getting in the way of the most important thing, the one thing, that relationship with Christ going further in Him. One of the uh, Proverbs that's been a real encouragement for me for must be decades now, it comes from Proverbs 4, 18. It says, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. There's always more. There's always more that, that God's leading us to. 
we need to, to get in and get behind and go forward in that because we have never arrived. There is always more. And then Paul goes on to say, I press on towards the goal. We're always in our best when we're moving forward. And we're always at our best when we're going towards something. That we're going towards a goal. We read in Proverbs that uh, there is without our vision, the people will perish. We've got to have something before us. It's good for us. It's good to have something before us. And I think we need something that's bigger than us. Something that inspires us. Because in that place, it's good for our souls. Something that makes us stretch. Something that causes us to a higher place. Because too many people pursue things that are worldly and they finally get there and they realize it still leaves them empty. I remember Boris Becker. Anyone remember Boris Becker? He was a tennis player. He finally got to his lifetime dream of being the world's top tennis player. And when he got there, he realized he was left completely empty. It did not fulfill him. And too many people pursue the house, pursue the career, pursue the money, and they get to where they think they're finally going to feel all the satisfaction and the hole's going to be filled, and it's still void. Because the calling, it's, it's just of this world. But we're about something that's bigger than that. We're about the kingdom of heaven, something that is internal, and it should be the thing that drives us, that pushes us to go further. For poor Jesus wasn't just the means to another end. Jesus was the end. He was the treasure. He was the pearl of great price. If he had to suffer to obtain it, so be it. If he had to give up something to have him, so be it. Jesus is the thing that poor delights in and desires and finds his satisfaction and goal in. It's fellowship with Christ that poor wants. He wants to know Christ. He wants to be with Christ. He wants to glorify Christ. He wants to fellowship with Christ. He wants to see Christ face to face. What a collection of beautiful things that were pushing him forward. That one thing to lead him. We need to be like that ourselves. I can remember a moment in my life, and I would, I would describe it as a, as a defining moment in my life. My wife and I, Natalie, were living on the northern beaches. Uh, life was good. We had a newborn baby, uh, had a good job. Uh, we were happy and content. We were serving at Friday night youth, and uh, every Sunday night we were at the 6 p.m. Oxford Falls meeting, and, and life was good, but I started to get this kind of, this itch, I would call it, on the inside of me. Sundays, pretty much week after week, went like this. I'd get up really early, and I'd go down for an early surf. Then I'd come back and have some breakfast and coffee, and then uh, Natalie and myself and, and, and little Sienna would, uh, would uh, go down to the beach and would, would pick up the uh, Sunday paper on the way, and we'd go down the beach, and Nat would go off for one of her nice long walks and go for a bit of a swim, and, and then she'd tag team me, and I'd go to the board and go for another quick surf, and and it was all really good. We'd come home and have lunch. And by this time, I'd read the paper, all that beautiful bad news out of the paper. And it was like 12.30. I'm like, oh, church is 6 o'clock tonight. I'm like, okay, this is kind of okay. And I'd you know, maybe flick through the paper again. And 2 o'clock, and I'm like, oh, Sunday afternoon. And as I put the box on, and there'd always be some form of Sunday afternoon sport on. And 
watch that for an hour and look at the clocks, three o'clock, church is in three more hours, four o'clock, church is two hours away. And, and all of a sudden, I, I got this, this sense on the inside of me that, that I actually had more in me, that I actually had more in me, that that was actually, although I'm, I'm into relaxation, don't get me wrong, but I was like, I was getting the itch that there was, there was more. So I, I kind of got this prayer on the inside of me, and it was, it was really simple, but it was my one thing, and it was, God, I want more of you and less of me. God, I want more of you and less of me. God, I want more of you and less of me. And I started to, to, to have this prayer on the inside of me. I tell you what, when you start putting your hand up like that, can I say, get ready? Watch and see what kind of door will swing open for you. Because it was not long after I started to say that prayer, it was quite quickly after that, that all of a sudden, Pastor Phil and Chris took over this church out here, it became a campus, and uh, Natalie and myself were asked to come out and serve here. And from the very first Sunday I arrived out here, my Sundays have never looked the same since. All of a sudden, Sunday was 45, 50-minute drive to church in the morning, getting here early, being part of the early morning prayer prayer meeting, in the service, connecting afterwards, getting back in the car, driving 45, 50 minutes back to the Northern Beaches, getting home, going, whoa, where did that time go? It's time to go back to church again, getting back in the car, putting Sienna in the car, driving back out to Silverwater, doing church Sunday night, connecting with the people, getting in the car, going back. That was Sunday, two trips here, would be here midweek for a prayer meeting, would be here often on a Friday night, hanging out with the Sabbats and Chris Heckick and all the great people, and, and all of a sudden, that, that, that cry in my heart got answered and I found myself in like a new place, in like a new day where it was just like, there's kind of like, there was more for this life to give. And the great thing was, as I dived in and not only was it fruitful for me, but God was using me to touch others. And I love how he does that because it's not just all about us. As we're obedient to the core that God has for us, as we're obedient to pressing in to more of uh, dialing into what God has for us and, and going more into the things of Jesus, it's not just about us, it's about others. And all of a sudden our influence gets bigger and more people get uh, influence as we're going deeper in him. And that's the way God often works. And I love that. And I love that Paul was so clear on this. And I love that, that meaning, life just got more meaning for me as this started to happen. And those doors started to swing open. And I love that, uh, you know, you, you, you never miss out. You never miss out when you go deeper into Christ. You never miss out when you're serving more in the house of God. You won't miss out when you start that connect group. You, you just don't miss out because it's got, not God's way. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. He is good and faithful to his word. So we just need to keep pressing in. Don't worry about those side things. Just keep focusing on him. Paul's treasure had become Jesus. What's your treasure here tonight? And he is willing and was willing to suffer the loss of all things for this. This becomes Paul's great desire. Jesus wasn't a ticket to get Paul to something better. Jesus was everything. Jesus was everything. Everything eternal, everything everlasting, everything glorious, everything joyous, everything that he needed was in Christ Jesus. And the end of the passage says that we can go and win the prize for which God has called me heavenward 
in Christ Jesus, to win the prize. I love this. I love that the Bible's got things like this in it because I'm kind of competitive. You wouldn't have seen it in my golf swing before, but get me out on the course doing anything, and I'm competitive. I like to win, and when I read scriptures about prizes and running races, I'm like, I like this. I like that the Word of God's got words like this in us to inspire us and move us forward because this word prize, it's only seen in one other uh, time in the New Testament and it's in 1 Corinthians 9 and it says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we, that's us, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. We run after this prize because this prize is eternal. Going after Jesus Christ, it's, it's for eternity. And the core is a high calling. The upward heavenly calling, it is worth pursuing. It's worth dedicating your life to. It may not be easy, but it'll be worth it every single time. And invite the band to come up. He wants us to go. The one thing. And do you know what I love? You get this thing right in life, and it's like the other things turn out. The other things can work. Because as we walk closely with him, I tell you what, relationships with each other, relationships within your marriage, friendships, just what you, the understanding you get about the workplace and the marketplace and, and how to study, it's like it all comes from this central thing of pursuing Jesus Christ and having him firm and solid in your life. It all, it all comes from that. It's like the fountainhead for life is in that moment. And the great thing is, it's there for each and every one of us to go after. And here tonight tonight maybe it's your chance maybe it's your moment to to get things realigned to get the one thing the one most important thing back on track in your life and maybe you're here tonight and you've maybe not had a lot of zeal for Jesus and you want to get some zeal I'd encourage you tonight tonight's your night to lean in and go I'm going to get this I'm going to get it tonight and I'm going to hold on to it from tonight on. Tonight is like a new start for me. Tonight can be like a new day in my life. Tonight, grab hold of Him and go after Him, pushing everything aside, putting and going towards that goal. Maybe once you've been in those places, but tonight you've lost the zeal. Oh, you could get it back. You could get the passion back. One of the things I love about the house of God is the people around us that might be you know, doing a little bit better in a particular moment than us. And you, you get encouragement from them. You see these guys leading us in worship and you think, oh man, they've been praying and, and seeking the Lord and, and they're pressing in. It's like, oh man, I'm going to press in too. You have a conversation to someone after the service at the after party. And you're like, man, they've, they've got the fire of heaven on. They've got this passion for Jesus and and, and what he's doing in the earth and you kind of glean from it like there's so much we can get from each other we look at each other we try and get the zeal into our lives maybe for some of us Christianity has been like a like an add-on like it's a little bit of a a block of time on a Sunday 
but it's kind of it. Can I encourage you? Make it the main thing. Make it the main thing. And tonight, make that commitment in your heart to God. God, I'm not going to have you as an add-on in life or just a few hours on a Sunday, but you're going to be there Monday through to Sunday. For me, I'm going to go after you and your things. Maybe you're one of those that when I said selfish instead of selfless, you thought, you know, I'm a bit, I'm a bit too much about me. I'm a little bit too much about my life, what I want to achieve, what I want to accomplish. All about the me's. Maybe tonight you're like, Lord, transform my heart because I want to live a selfless life. I don't want it to be all about me. I need it to be about you and about others. So tonight, it's just the great scripture. I'm going to read it again. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward.